The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here with my co-host Dan Reese to do this week's By the Numbers, where we try and give you some important statistics and the story behind them. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, that was a pretty terrible uh, week. Well, 
it was good and then it was really terrible. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to look at the stats and then move forward on to week three. Yeah, some positives, but uh, I don't know about you, a longtime Raven fan here. I'm always uncomfortable when the offense is carrying the team. <laughs> but uh, but there are some pluses here that we can talk about. It, it is not, it's not something we're used to for sure. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you're going to be up All first, right, Dan. I'll go ahead. Uh, 98.3%. And 711. So these numbers are, are probably some that you may have seen already this week. But 98.3% uh, is the win probability at the start of the fourth quarter, based on ESPN's model. <clears throat> uh, it had been 12 years since a team lost when they were up by 21 or more in the fourth quarter. Uh, during those 12 years, those teams were 711 and 0. Uh, so it's just remarkable uh, to just show how... Uh, epic of a collapse it was you know i think you don't have to tell too many fans but uh, it is kind of interesting to see it in that perspective you know it, you, you know it was epic you know it was crazy that they they were able to do that but to actually see the number 711 to uh to zero is, is just pretty wild to me that is ridiculous and i believe they weren't even the highest win probability owned by an eventual loser this week i think that the uh the brown yeah. browns versus the jets right yeah the browns with the uh the epic whatever two touchdown turnaround mm -hmm. in in uh in, in under two minutes that was pretty wild as well so yeah just ridiculous so uh well hopefully we don't talk about another stat going the ravens way that way for a long time uh, 2.39 is my number, and that's the number of heavies per offensive play. And I did I focus on a number of run game stats here, but that's the first of these. 2.39 is the number of tight ends plus fullbacks plus sixth offensive linemen. They had Fall Lilly in there for five snaps of this game, um, divided by the total number of snaps. Now, I thought the week one number was ridiculous at 2.27, which was the higher than any number last year. I believe 196 versus... The Chargers was their highest of last year. I haven't gone back and checked every game, but I know it wasn't much above that if it was. So the 2.39 is the highest, I believe, ever in Ravens history uh, of in terms of, of uh, heavies per play. They had four snaps of 14 personnel in this game. Now, that's not even typical for the Ravens. They, they usually go in... Uh, 23 personnel in goal line with having a, a, a fullback, a, you know, a, a tailback, and then three tight ends in line. Uh, that was a common one for years they would do. It didn't even have, felt, it feel like they had to go to a wide receiver in those situations. But now we've, we've shifted to 14, uh, which is just a really weird offensive formation you, you hardly ever see. Uh, obviously, very high reliance on these tight, tight end-centric packages. And that's in sharp contrast, though, with how effective the pass game has been as a whole. They've been effective passing to tight ends. They've been effective passing to wide receivers. Uh, Lamar certainly has not suffered in terms of his game so far this year, but uh, the Ravens so far looking like they can run their tight end-centric offense uh, and still pass out of it. Yeah, it's definitely a, an, an interesting approach that they've used, going really, really heavy. Um, I think this week you kind of got the double dose with the uh, you know that the generally heavy approach that the Ravens had, plus uh, a number of short yardage and goal line plays, so it kind of got a double dose of it. But it is really interesting, um, you know, how that while they're doing that, they still are passing a significant amount uh, as well. So um, my two numbers are, are are very related to that. It's a seven point two eight 
and 8.39. 7.28 is the average number of defenders in the box for Miami. So that's that is a large number. Mm-hmm. And 8.39 um, is the average number of defenders in the box for the 23 run plays. So the 7.28 is the highest in 20, uh, 2022 so far. Uh, and the second is 6.8. So nearly half um, half a defender fewer, which is, that's a ton. Um, so, yeah. so it just shows, you know, they, the heavy personnel was there for us and they countered with um, a ton of men, men in the box or, you know, I don't know which one, chicken or the egg sort of discussion here, I guess. But, um, you know, the offense is on the line, on the, uh, generally kind of decides the personnel. So, um, you know, so I would say it was, it was the Ravens kind of deciding to go heavy and then Miami responding and and just stacking the box. Um, And, and even with the run plays, the 8.39 is compared to the next highest of 7.32. So more than (laughs) one defender more like that's, that is an insane difference between this game and, and the next highest. I think I can come up with another reason why that was happening. I'm going to let it rest till the end of my stature, sure. but uh, but I'll go ahead. 16 and 36 are the rushes by the running backs uh, and the yards they got versus the Dolphins. Uh, utterly terrible, obviously. There are some reasons for it. So you mentioned uh, you know the heavy personnel is certainly something that we've you know we saw. The you're able to respond with heavy personnel and in the box personnel when you line up inline tight ends in particular. Uh, there was a goal line pass attempt that might have skewed it a little bit, but I mean that's a little bit. There's 30 pass plays in this game, so you know an extra one or even two defenders is only going to make a difference of 0.06 over the course of a of a game like this. So we're, we're, it's, that's not the difference. That's not the 1.0 difference, uh, you know, in these two numbers. Um, but they did run a lot of short yardage in this game, and the short yardage had extremely stacked boxes. Uh, and uh, in fact, on one play where the Ravens actually passed out of a 14 personnel formation, uh, the Dolphins rushed 10 on the play. And I'm trying to think of the number of times I've recorded a 10 on my score sheet for the number of pass rushers on a play. It's not many. And the linebacker Roberts, number 52, only really dropped out late. So the Ravens had three guys in the pattern, and all three of them were open. Ricard underneath. Andrews over the top, somebody else on the right side, we don't even see who it was, might have been likely. Uh, but they it's interesting on that play that they would have that. The other thing that is causing a lot of um, players in the box, both on run and pass plays, are these cover zero looks. So, you know, the, the Dolphins are not always aware of whether the Ravens are running or passing, at least hopefully that's the, to be the case. Um, but the Dolphins really wanted to go back to what won them the game last year in Miami, which is a lot of that cover zero play. And so they had the the line of scrimmage fairly stacked. So uh, obviously the barbelled rushing results, people say, well, Lamar's running, but these running backs just suck. It's not just a matter of that. It's really a matter of, of, you know, what formations can work that. Yeah, there's some, there's some, were some problems blocking on the offensive line for run plays in this game that it could have been a little better. Um, but basically, it's just, it's just very hard to run against a stacked box. And that's why a lot of teams really prefer to employ their run game out of 11 personnel, spread out the field, um, use your linemen to block, but but don't bother with a, a, a an inline tight end even a lot of the time. Right. And I, I don't know that the spread out would have necessarily worked because of that cover zero approach. You know, they were still mm-hmm. willing to put uh, those guys up front. So, you know, rather than kind of risk it, I think the Ravens were OK, just kind of. Okay, I know you're going to put them. I'm going to put big, big guys in too, and and just kind of let let's see what happens. Um, you know, I, I I do kind of wish 
Well, the Ravens did lean heavy on the pass because of the stack boxes and, and and things like that. But I do wish, especially on those short yardage plays, that they, um, you know, kind of understood that they were just completely overpowering the uh, the line and, and did some more passing. Uh, you know, I think there was one out of the ten shorter yardage plays that they passed, and it was successful. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. they rushed all 10 so naturally it was successful when there's so many unguarded guys it was really interesting out of those 16 plays though those rushing plays that um 10 of them i think were on the first drive so it was a very different first drive versus the whole rest of the game i thought that was really interesting so yeah they they backed off a little bit on their on their blitz towards the end of the game but they still blitz 62 percent for the game so uh, you know, given that, I thought it was amazing the Ravens didn't allow a quarterback hit in the game for the offensive line. Yeah, they did a great job blocking for sure. All right, uh, my my third set of numbers is a negative zero point one two and one point seven four. So these are the the EPA, um, the average EPA on late downs, so third and fourth down uh, for the Ravens and for Miami. So the Ravens were only successful four out of the 13 late down plays and an average of negative 0.12. So, so not good. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami, on the other hand, was successful on nine out of the 13 late down plays for an average EPA of 1.74. That's a total EPA of 22.6. So just on third and fourth downs, they added 22.6 points. Um, it, it's just remarkable. They were able to convert nine out of 11 times when they got to third down, either converting on third or the following fourth. It is pretty amazing. So let's break that down a little bit and do a little math here. So the Dolphins end up scoring 42 points, right? 42-38, yes. Yep. And they might have been expected to score 20 points in this game, just a round number sure. if I it here. Yep. So they should have had EPA plays in this game that would have added about 22 points in total. And basically what you're telling me is 100% of that was done with their fourth down plays, their third and fourth down plays. So they had a net of roughly zero on their early down that, plays. Yeah, that's how, that would be my guess. Yep, it was just all the, you know, and, and generally third and fourth down is high leverage plays, and that's normal. But this is extreme. <laughs> 22 points, 22.6 points is amazing. Uh, I, I don't know that I've seen anything like that because four out of the six touchdowns were scored on third downs including one when it was third and 13 and one that was third and 10. So, you know, those are huge swings to score when it's that long of yardage. Yeah. Do they, do they cap that at all? So like if you were in bad position and you were going to have to punt and you might have a, uh, an expected points of minus two or something for the drive or for, for however they look at it going forward, but then you actually get a 60 yard touchdown to Hill on the play. Mm-hmm. Do they do they they give you plus nine on that or is it capped at plus seven? Do you know the method? Oh no, there's no cap. Yeah, it, it's just okay. pure math. You know, pure uh, difference on on what the expected points. So if you were expected to lose points, um, which is the other team would gain points, not you really losing mm-hmm. points, but the other 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 team is expected to score, um, and you end up scoring a touchdown. Yeah, it can be more than more than a seven point EPA on a play. Wow. Okay, that's remarkable. I know some of the things they do. They they like limit the value of turnovers to four and a half and stuff like that. There's some funky okay. stuff going on with that. So, uh, all right. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and move on here. Uh, the next one, I have another running game one. We have negative 44.4% and negative 86.9%. Now, Football Outsiders has DeVoa 
and they they use it for everything. You, you have it for. And I have another statistic coming up on it. Uh, you can you can rate a a, a uh, offense, a defense, a special teams unit, a team as a whole, an individual player with Devoa, and that's what the, the those uh, numbers are. So Kenyon Drake is last in Devoa for running backs with at least sixteen carries. Um, he is seventeen, and his his Devoa is minus forty four point four. In fact. Uh, I believe he's got something like minus 26. Yeah, there it is. Minus 26 yards above replacement. So that's 26 yards below replacement in his case on just those 17 carries. That's a, that's a yard and a half less than a replacement level player that he's done. The only guy who's lower in aggregate yards is Joe Mixon, who is minus 48. I guess we're happy to hear that being in the same division with the with the Bengals. But Mixon's done it on about two and a half times as many carries, if I recall correctly. So it's not nearly as bad on a per carry basis. And that per carry basis is what's being measured with that terrible DeVoe rating. But he's not quite as bad as Mike Davis, who is last in DeVoe of all running backs with three to 15 carries. This really bothers me that it's three to 15 carries. <laughs> and, and you know, somebody with three, there's not somebody like Mark Clayton's 2006 season comes to mind where he had a bunch of negative plays. I think he had six carries that year, maybe five carries for minus 30. And I like it. It's, nobody's ever going to beat this in terms of negative yards in a season kind of thing. But uh, he, he is minus 86.9. And then in 15 carries... He's 38 yards below replacement. So that's two and a half yards worse per carry than a replacement level player. So uh, there is opposing defensive scheme playing a role. Obviously, they were running him into the brick wall that the uh, the Ravens were not able to move in the middle of the line, which is a big problem. Um, but neither Drake nor Davis, I'm going to say this, is safe when Dobbin, Dobbins returns. Hill looks like now the Ravens' number one back. He did a very good job of run blocking. Yes, he made it. Uh, sorry, pass blocking. He did a very stupid play cutting the ball to the outside which cost him yards but that seems a hell of a lot more correctable than what's going on right now with with drake and uh and uh davis who neither of whom really seems to have the 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 stylistic fit for the ravens in terms of the speed necessarily to threaten the the field horizontally or or really in either case the davis is not terrible um really good pass blocking skills so i think hill has already taken that third down roll and we'll see how this plays out when, when Dobbins returns, but I'd expect one of those two to be gone. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I don't, like you mentioned, I don't think, you know, the the situations or the O-line has necessarily helped their cases, but they certainly haven't done anything on their end either, you know, bounce, bounce one outside or, you know, spun off a tackle or, or anything really to kind of uh, add the, the yards over the expectation, like you clearly showed um, or mentioned. And they so they just really haven't haven't done anything to 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 kind of help their cause, um, you know. So I, I definitely agree with you. I think Hill, especially, I think uh, Harbaugh was talking about. It. I think Hill seems like he's going to get the get more of the uh, play time, and then I think we'll see with what happens with Dobbins as well. I think it'll be really interesting. So I'd be surprised if either of them move on, like on the um, you know on. Uh, if they move on from either of them as far as the roster, because there's not really any cap reason to move from them. But, um, but yeah, I think game time act came to activation for sure. Yeah. I think they're going to be on the outside looking at or 
on the yeah outside looking in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the, the Ravens, because of the walking wounded they're carried now, will be forced into decisions about those players, whether it means sticking them on IR or not. Unfortunately, Davis was a guy they could have cut for a week at the beginning of the year if they wanted to, but they certainly could have cut to make an extra roster spot for an IR player. And for whatever incredible reason, they did not do it. And they had three players that they had to basically release injured mm-hmm. that they could have had on IR and, you know, not taking any risks losing, like including uh, what Daylon Hayes and their, I don't know if he's, he's supposed to come back or not this year, but, but he's a loss. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's definitely un- unfortunate for sure. I, I think they were just so concerned about needing a running, you know, their full arsenal of running backs. Um uh in week one that they weren't able to um that they weren't able to kind of cut or hold him out for the first week or anything um it's definitely um going to be interesting for sure when when dobbins is ready to roll and i hope we you know i hope we see kind of a a changing of uh our our fortune quickly when that happens so yeah Uh, all right um time to Time to change the direction and kind of look ahead. Uh, for me, with my two numbers are 5.4 million and 5.5 million. Uh, 5.4 million is the estimated uh, current cap space based on over the cap. Um, I say this is estimated because there's a number of things going on, number of players going to IR, things like that, moving moving pieces, practice squad. Uh, currently, uh, when I got that number, they w- the um, the Ravens had 51 people on the roster. And that leads to the second number, 5.5 million. And they just uh, reportedly today uh, signed JPP uh, for up to 55 or up to 5.5 million uh, for one year. Um, obviously, 5.5 more than 5.4. So there's going to be some sort of um, you know, cap manipulation in that contract. Uh, my guess is that a significant amount of the the 5.5 million is. Um, with incentives, uh, not likely to be earned incentives, uh, which means that they're based off of things that, that he didn't hit last year. He only had 2.5 sacks last year, so it's really easy to use a sack number uh, that he'll likely reach um, in order to kind of move that incentive. So whatever he earns from a not likely to be earned incentive moves uh, to, to next year's cap instead of this year's. So I wouldn't now, be surprised if that's uh, the way they do it. Uh, he did have fairly significant playing time last year, right? So they don't Correct. have some easy playing time hits that they could go for. It's a, it's a I don't know how you feel about this one. I, I'm not super excited about the Jason Pierre-Paul signing. I mean, he's, he's almost 34 years old. He will be, in fact, on New Year's Day. Uh, you know, a guy coming off a bad season at that age is not exactly the guy you want to you want to focus a lot of your. Um, limited remaining resources on would you be surprised if it's more than a minimum contract with incentives um you know i'm i'm upset that it's this high of a number period um i was hoping it would be a minimum contract i knew that as soon as you know he was holding off and went away you know the ravens were in terrible negotiating position right everyone knows they need an edge there are no edges out there they need one now uh he's the best one on the market like there's not, no other option for them really i guess a trade but like really he was in complete like the power position in this negotiation so uh, i'm not surprised that they overpaid um in my opinion they overpaid um but you know it, it 
I, I would love to see it be something like 1.5 million guaranteed and the remaining four is all in incentives based off of sacks. Like, you know, and kind of building, you know, a million for five sacks, a million for seven sacks, a million for You are eight dreaming, sacks. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I would love that too. I'm just I'm I'm really afraid they've given away about what, four and a half million out of maybe two hundred and fifty million next year in cap. Yes, yeah. uh, so this is a not insignificant, you know, two percent of the cap or thereabouts mm-hmm. that they've spent already. Uh, in a year where you know they're going to have a lot of moving pieces, but one of them being Jackson potentially on a um, franchise tag. Yeah, it, it's it's so. going to be interesting for sure. The details, um, and he better be able to show up. I, I do think they had to make a move though, because I think they're just playing Houston so many snaps that you know they need to do something. Otherwise, <laughs> they're going to risk Houston's injury, um, and uh, and then they're left with nobody, even when um, when they get reinforcements back. So. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough right now because OA is playing out of position and obviously having some difficulties of his own. All right, I guess we're ready to move on here again. With some of the talk of the town, I would just want to going to frame something up as the fastest men. We had a lot of that this week. So my two numbers are 21.6 and 27.79. 21.6 was the speed of Devin Duvernay on his kickoff return touchdown. And again, that's the top speed. They don't ever tell you speed over the entire run, which I'd really be interested in knowing, by the way. Um, and it would also, it's not easy to calculate because it's not just, you know, 103 yards that, you, and, and you can maybe count up the seconds using the click method on your on your DVR. It's not that easy because there's some lateral movement and, you know, the total yards traveled are, are, mm-hmm. are not a exactly 103. It's probably, you know, 108 or something, maybe on, on a run like that, maybe even a little more. And so you don't you don't really have a, a, a great measure of speed. But they said it was a top of 21.6. Bateman, a top of 21.48, higher than Marquise Brown's top of 21.3 ever, which I don't even believe came as a ball carrier. It was on the 65-yard touchdown pass in Denver where he basically dove in the end zone for the ball. So I don't think it was as a ball carrier that, that he had that. So really exceptional number for, for Bateman. And then Jackson reached 20.48 on his TD which was still the 20th fastest of the week. So excellent run by Lamar. Kind of looked like he had a piano on his back at the end of that run. I don't think it was all about the Jumbotron. I think it was, you know, he was really trying to figure out how am I going to avoid this tackle, reading like leverage out of the back of his head almost mm-hmm. uh, as he's as he's going down that field. But I want to give you a framework for comparison. That was the reason why I did this. Usain Bolt's record of 9.58 in the 100 meters translates to 23.35 miles per hour over the entire run. Okay, and he reached a top estimated speed of 27.79 miles per hour, somewhere between the 60 and 80 meter mark. So something about that is is important, that it's, it's unusual to find on really short running plays, like, you know, six, eight, 10 yards. There, there are a couple of them every week, um, the really fast numbers, because it takes humans a while to accelerate to, to top speed, and and they can't usually do it, uh, you know, right from a start like that. And, uh, uh, and the other thing is that just running with football equipment and, and, and whatnot is a lot harder. So even though these are exceptional athletes and we're not certainly saying Lamar or any of these other guys is slow, uh, track stars are just meant to be track stars. And they, uh, you know, they have some several advantages to do so, including running out of blocks, for example, and uh, uh, running on a straight track and not having anyone trying to tackle them, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I thought I thought uh, well, all those plays were amazing. You know, first off, the the Bateman uh, catch, what a you know, uh, what a, what a, what a great move he made with uh, off the line of scrimmage, and then it was just see you later. That was just amazing that he was able to break break from that defender so quickly. Uh, Duvernay, such a uh, I, I feel like kickoff return for touchdowns are su- such uh, a rarity nowadays, and just amazing that he was able to pull that off. And what a what a game changer! Uh, what a way to start the game off right. And then Lamar, uh, it was really uh, very cool to see him punishing them so badly for stacking the box. As soon as he got beyond three yards, <laughs> everyone was, you know, or whatever it was, maybe not three, but five, uh, you know, he was beyond everyone at that point already. So it was, uh, it was pretty amazing, um, you know, as soon as he broke through that line. Now, you know a lot about rush yards over expected and the other models that are out there for fast R and that use the fast R data or, or the tracking data maybe more accurately. Um, I noticed that the rush yards over expected for that were something were in the 70s for Lamar. It wasn't like, an, you know, it, it wasn't 50 over average, say. Um, and and I, I'm trying to think of where they would handle the handoff on a quarterback run. I don't know if you happen to know this. But, it, but, I mean, you, you know, it's, it's a designed run play. There is a mesh point, I, I think there was on the play. I have to really think back to, he, he did, I believe, make a pull and go. But is it at that point they're judging the expected yards? Because as soon as he's at the line of scrimmage, I, it, we're looking right down the line <laughs> of scrimmage. There was nobody there. Right. I mean, it was 70 yards right then. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not really sure. I know some of those... Um, some of those models for sure struggle with when to kind of start the yeah. clicker or whatever uh, on that sort of play. Uh, a lot of them don't even do it for QB runs because of that exact reason. They don't have a starting point to kind of snapshot and, and look at where the O-line uh, compare. But um, but it, but that's, you know, that just shows kind of how amazing, you know, the read of the hole and to get through it, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, it kind of parted, he made the right reads, got through, and then it was gone. So, so, so cool. One more thing to say about that. One of the great blocks of the season by Ben Powers on that play. And Ben Powers had a terrible week one. Not, you know, a bad week one. Not, let's not say terrible, but, but a bad week one. But on that play, he pulled and blocked two guys to, to, to kick them out that allowed Lamar to move right through that uh, hole. But uh, really, do you, block like that needs to be called out. Right. Nice. <laughs> Good for him. You know, that's, that's awesome. So, you know, he hasn't had, uh, he's had some struggles. So that's, that's great that he was able to, uh, to, to make such a, a uh, great block on a huge play. So, um, all right. Uh, my last number is eight. And uh, this number is kind of shows up a couple times in this story. So the Ravens are ranked eighth in pass rush win rate uh, by ESPN with uh, a 47% pass, pass rush win rate. Uh, oddly enough, or coincidentally enough, or whatever, uh, Patriots are also ranked eighth on the other side with the pass block win rate of 66%. So it'll be eighth, uh, eighth ranked pass rush versus eighth ranked pass blocking, uh, mm-hmm. in, which I think will be a really uh, a key matchup in, in this week's game. Uh, Michael Pierce is ranked seventh amongst DTs um, across the league so far. And uh, Michael Oweno is ranked eighth and Cole Strange, the rookie is ranked 10th amongst guards. And David Andrews is ranked first, uh, tied tied mm-hmm. first with 100% win rate amongst centers. So the interior O line uh, it, for the Patriots is extremely solid on pass blocking, uh, and 
at least in week one, the interior defensive line was very solid past rush. So, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see whether the interior defensive line for the Ravens uh, or the kind of thin edge players for the Ravens can get pass rush on uh, Mac Jones because, you know, I do think, uh, you know, that's an area where if you can get him flustered, he's really, really struggled when, um, you know, when under pressure. So, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to understand ESPN's um, numerator and denominator on pass rush win rate. So do they use a two and a half or three second standard? What constitutes a win? You know, what do they exclude if the ball's out quickly? Do they do they exclude the play from pass rush runway, you know, analysis? But I'd really need to understand that because that's a lot higher of a win rate at 47% than what I've charted for the Ravens. And I don't know if they're doing it every player individually. Sounds like they are if you have, you know, win rates by individual. Right. They are yeah. they're they're doing it. It's not 47% like on average, like you know, say you have three mm-hmm. or four defensive linemen you know that on average two are winning it's mm-hmm. on average that I, I don't know if one win or, or what so that's a good question on, on what constitutes a win for the for the line but i do know that um that the percentage for pierce is like was like 14 percent or something like that so it's it's a significantly lower percentage uh win rate for defensive linemen on an individual basis than it is for the team basis so my my um my or my i I assume or or suspect that um it's like one of the defensive line win and that's a you know that's considered a win so if they impact the pocket that's considered a win okay all right i mean that i agree that does make sense some interesting draft things recently cole strange of course the guy who's drafted i think 29th overall in one of the huge reaches mm-hmm. of this draft yep. uh very odd again there's only there's only one cut up of him playing against kentucky to really look at even in your drafting because he went to tennessee chattanooga really played at a, at a you know a player was hard to play and then michael Ueno, of course is is the guy who the ravens took ben bredesen instead in round four and i've you know been crying a lot about about him going to the Patriots had a had a guest on who said that Aueno is a great individual blocker but he's somehow not good at either picking up blitzes or picking up things he's supposed to do so okay. counter argument from the know your foe guy uh, right. that, that uh, is, was kind of interesting all right let's uh, let's move on I got one more left one 21 one and three the Ravens ranks in offense, defense, special teams, and overall DeVoa through three weeks. So they're number one in offense. They're number 21 in defense. I don't think there's a surprise on the 21 in defense. Number one in offense is great. And they're number one in special teams, which I don't know if we guess that was true right now. Duvernay got a touchdown, but the punting game has been just fairly average, it seems. And Tucker has done a lot of chances. And then they're number three overall. Um, there's another... Uh, factor they use called Dave, uh, which which includes their preseason expectations. If you take that, they're second overall, only behind Buffalo. If you don't take their preseason expectations, they're also behind Jacksonville right now as the second best team in football. By Devo. <laughs> kind of surprising. And uh, by way to Devoa, they're also uh, third behind Buffalo and Jacksonville. What I'm, what I'm trying to get away with, get too with this stat is they, they have not played great teams so far at least we don't think so we don't know how great Miami is going to end up being they're hot, hot right now but this is kind of a don't worry be happy stat we're, we're in an unusual position 
of having the offense lead the way for this team when we've been used to years of the defense being the better unit. Um, even probably even younger fans can can you know think back to the to the mid teens into into players who you know teams being led by the defense even though uh, you know Joe Flacco was still around the offense just wasn't the, the certainly the strength of those teams at that time. But uh, uh, I, while I. I think there's a lot to be worried about from this last game. There's certainly a lot to be worried about in terms of the secondary coming back to life. I'd like to get your opinion, Dan. How concerned are you about this team right now in terms of their ability to defend the pass completely torpedoing the season? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's entirely dependent on health. Uh, you know, I think we got some really good news about Humphrey coming back uh, and practicing a good amount this week. I think Peters uh, practiced a majority of this week as well. Stevens as well. Um I think Hamilton's just going to continue to improve. I think, you know, the communication there was obviously an issue. I think the rookies are going to continue to improve. So I really think the defensive backs uh, is an area where they really struggled in week two, but I don't think that that's going to be, I don't don't think that's not something I'm concerned about for the long haul of this season, uh, Mm -hmm. assuming we can stay healthy and knock on wood. Um, You know, I I am concerned about the pass rush. I am concerned um, that the edge that there's not enough depth there. Um, but one of the things that's interesting about this league is that so many teams have a quick pass or, you know, uh, hot roots or whatever it is, you know, it's a short time to throw that pass rush. It's harder and harder nowadays to, to get home. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not sure that that is as crucial as it used to be. Um, you know, I, I think you have to get home so that you can't tax your defensive backs too much. But I don't think, um, you know, immediately winning is, is as crucial as it, it, it was a couple of years ago even. Um, but, you know, I'm more concerned about the, the edge players than I am the DBs. So. Okay. That's, a, that's an interesting perspective to look at it because of the, the number of hot reads that the actual importance of the edge position may have gone down. And I, I, don't, I, I think there's merit to that. I mean, I think that's really a, a you know, a different way to look at it. I, I, I do take... I thought the cornerback situation was very thin coming into the year because I didn't really trust Fuller, and it doesn't matter now whether we trust him or not. He's, right. he's gone for the year. So, uh, and, and Peters, I just didn't have a good read on on how quickly he was going to be back, and it's great to see him in week two, uh, even though I don't think he really played particularly well. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I think he was okay. You know, I think he he was definitely not his normal self. I, I think um, it was a hard hard game for him to kind of make those gamble plays and, and things like that so uh and i think that sort of play style will do better when everyone else is full strength around him you know when he is allowed to gamble more so um you know I, he didn't look bad but he didn't look him, himself i don't think so yeah but, right. but i think uh you know i think the offense is exciting and the special teams is exciting as well you know i, I think stout has looked fine. I think he's going to continue to improve. Tucker is Tucker. So I think, um, you know, two out of three <laughs> as number one and the, and the defense, I, I think will improve from 21. I don't think they'll stay there. So, uh, like you said, I, I think there is a lot of reason for optimism for, for fans out there. So I know it was a rough week, but I really do think, um, you know, focus on the positives and I, I do think it will turn around. So. All right. Okay, another big one coming up this week against the Patriots. Dan, 
Always a pleasure to do this with you. Always really appreciate having a great co-host. You can never say enough about that. But tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, reach out in, on Twitter, uh, DP Reese, and then the number eight. Uh, happy to uh, talk Ravens, throwing out some stats now and, now and then. Um, you know, it's a lot more fun after a win. So uh, hopefully we'll get get one this week. And, uh, you know, I'll throw out a bunch of stats about, uh, you know, how we were able to get our first win in in, uh, in Foxborough. So. <laughs> you got to remind us of that. We've been, we, we have one actual regular season. Fox, yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. so, all right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you want to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. We have some cool stuff coming up for you. Uh, a great talk with Daniel Wilcox the other day, the former tight end for the Ravens, about his experience at training camp. It is not to be missed. Lots of very heartfelt things you will not ever learn, even on hard knocks, but. I'll give you one of the things he said, which was which is just hilarious to me. I, I, it broke me up for the next couple of questions. Was that he said you always smell like some sort of ointment when you're at camp because it's rubbing something on you. And you good rookie hazing stuff. You'll love it anyway. Uh, please give that a listen. Uh, Dan, we'll be back next week, of course, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs>Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.